good morning, Mission Church. If you would, now turn in your Bibles, turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 19, Genesis, Exodus. If you're new to church and you don't have a Bible, we would love for you to have a Bible. That would be our gift to you. You can find one in our lobby this morning. And if you're part of our Myerstown campus, of course, you can ask Pastor Nate about that as well. If you don't want to leave service to find a Bible, uh, you can download the app. No judgment here. But we desire for you to see for yourself what God's Word has to say. Exodus Exodus chapter 19. And even as you're turning or clicking there, allow me to pray. Father, your grace. Father, it's only by your grace that we can come into your holy presence. Father, it's by your mercy that you looked down upon sinful man and saw fit uh, to fulfill your plan of redemption, that we might be counted even as redeemed, sanctified, and holy in your sight. God, help us today to grasp a small glimpse of this truth. We need your Holy Spirit to teach us divine things, for no fallible man could uh, do it justice. And so, God, by your grace, show us. Show us the measure of your glory that is fitting, we pray in Jesus' name. And all of Mission Church said, amen. Amen. Courageous Calling, that's the name of our series. And each week, for those of you who are new, I catch you up to this point. Courageous Calling, we believe. Studying the life of Moses, learning, learning from Moses, learning what it looked like to be called by God and to fulfill a calling that is bigger than him. Kaleo, an authoritative summons is the word that we see in the Greek. We believe that every person in this room has been called by God. We've been called to obedience to the Lord. Romans chapter 1, the law of God is written upon the conscience of men. We must obey. That's God's call. God's call. God's call to salvation is a call that when God calls in the call of salvation, we bend our knee. It's an efficacious call. It's a call that we can't say no to. Oh, that God would call individuals in this room this morning. God calls us to obedience. God calls us to to salvation. And God also calls us to a life work. He prepared good works in advance that we would walk in them. And here we see Moses called to obedience. Moses called to lead God's people to a promised land. Moses called to fulfill his life's calling before God. But today we are focused on this, that God calls us to obey. God calls us, a holy God calls us to obey. Say obey. Obey. We serve a holy God. We serve a God who not only is holy, his name is holy. Isaiah 57 verse 15. To be holy means to be pure. It means to be set apart. It means to be other than, to have no spot, to have no blemish. Have you stopped to ponder of the holiness of God recently? Moses, in contemplating Yahweh, the great I Am, wrote this as a song of tribute back to him when he led the nation through the sea. Who is like you? Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing your wonders? Our God, our God is holy. 
Stop now if you haven't recently considered this idea of a perfect being who always was, who always will be, who was not created, but created all things out of nothing. Come on, Selah, get your mind around that. We can't. The fact that God is holy is mind-boggling, but what is actually mind-blowing, what is actually, just do this with me, what is actually, come on, everybody, come on, do this. What is mind-blowing is that a holy God calls you and me to be holy. First Thessalonians 4, 7, For God has not called us for impurity, but he's called us to holiness. The Apostle Peter wrote this, But as he who called you is holy, you also, you be holy in all of your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, God says. You shall be holy, for I am holy. So that leads me to this question. How's fulfilling the call of holiness going in your life? You know, when I set a goal, I like to like check off. How many times I've kind of been able to reach the next step in the goal? Anyone with me on that? I set a goal to get up early recently, and each day that I get up early, it's like I don't actually literally check it off. I kind of have this app that actually tells me that I did, though. It's super cool. And I, I'm like, I, I did it again, and I did it again, and I did it again, and I did it again. And then there's a day that you don't, it doesn't happen. Something else gets in the way. Does it drive anybody else crazy that now the graph is all messed up? How's your graph of holiness going? I tried to check the box and failed. I tried to check the box and failed. I tried to check the box and failed. You see, my graph is more about checking the box every time I fail. I got a perfect score. Maybe, maybe you're like me. Maybe like me, you cry out like David. Go, oh, God created me a clean heart because the one I have is broke. God, renew a right spirit in me. God, I'm worthy to be cast out of your presence, please. Far too often I find myself like the Apostle Paul, Romans chapter 7, before the Lord, who desires to do the will and the, fulfill the holiness of God. And he says, for I do not understand my own actions. You've been there? For I do not what I want to do, but I do the very thing that I hate. You came to this conclusion. I know that nothing good dwells in me. Wow. How countercultural is that? For I know nothing good dwells in me. That is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. So we go back to the cry of the psalmist, which says, Lord God, how can a man keep his way pure? How can a man keep his way pure? What was the psalmist's response? By guarding it according to the word. And he said this, with my whole heart, with my whole heart, God, I will seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. Oh, to pursue the commandments of God. 
only to fail again. We know to keep the commandments would keep us pure, but oh, in keeping the commandments, how we fail. And so the Apostle Paul says this, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me then from this body of death? Because I've tried and I've failed. I've tried and I've failed. I've tried and I've failed. Who? Who's going to rescue me? Because I can't rescue myself. He tells us, doesn't he? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Where does our holiness come from? Tell me who. Say Jesus. Our holiness comes from Jesus. Anything good in you, trust me, was put there by God. Any goodness in you is the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake, he made him, Jesus, to be sin, the one who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus Christ died so you and I could be justified, forgiven of our sins. Listen to this, Ephesians 2, 4 through 6. But God... But God now being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sin, right? When we were dead and could do nothing good. He then made us alive together with Christ. By grace, by grace, by grace you've been saved through faith. You can't obey and become saved. By grace you've been saved through faith. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Your obedient chart, right? Where it's easier for us to check off the failings moment by moment. Notice this. Because of the work of Christ Jesus, you have a perfect score in heaven before the Father. He sees you as perfect. Because Jesus Christ came and lived a perfect life and hung on a cross... Dying for your sins. The Father looked upon His Son as if He had lived all of your sinful lives, all of my sinful life, so that in this moment, God the Father can look at you and see you as spotless, holy, sanctified in His sight. Now listen. It's from this posture. It's from this position of justification. It's from this position of salvation. It's from this position of God making me sanctified. He sees me as sanctified. And having been forgiven of my sins, watch what happens. The Holy Spirit is now resident in me. And I now have the power, which is the Holy Spirit, Christ in me, to say yes to God and no to sin. That power did not exist before, but it exists right now. Catch it? You and I, we don't only fight from victory. We live our lives from the position of victory. So every time we face the call of obedience to God, we're not mustering the strength. We're actually humbling ourselves in submission to God and saying, God... I submit myself to you. Empower me to do the next right thing. Because in your own strength, which box are you checking? Romans 
You've been set free from sin. Come on, you've been set free from sin. You've been set free from sin, but yet, but yet the battle of the flesh rages on, but you have been set free. When we say chains are gone, this is what we mean. You have the ability to say no, but it takes submitting to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so I'm curious, I'm curious, when you're answering this call of obedience to the Lord in your life, what's your attitude towards obedience? What's the spirit in which you approach the commandments of God? I was confronted recently in a very gracious way about my attitude, about the way I would come about approaching the very challenges and the very call of obedience that the Lord has placed upon my life. Think about this. When you go to obey the Lord, is it a have to, a want to, or a get to? God's called me to work. That's a call. You don't have to go to work tomorrow. Do you have to go to work tomorrow? I have to go to work tomorrow. I have to. I have to because God called me to go to work. And so I have to go to work. Or do you realize God has gifted me with a job. God has gifted me with skills. God has gifted me with a mind and with limbs. And so tomorrow I have the privilege to actually fulfill the call of God in my life. And while I may not love my job, I love my God. And so it's a privilege to go to work. I've been called to be a husband. I don't have to, have to, right? Do you have to, do you have to love your spouse? Yes, but see how that goes. <laughs> Honey, love you, have to say it. I have to clock you with blunt instrument, right? The Lord has blessed me. The Lord has blessed me. The Lord has blessed me with a spouse, with a beautiful woman that I love who lifts up my hands when I need it, who, who's there, who we, we do life together. And so it's a privilege. I get to, I get to love my wife. Some of you have been called in a different way. You've been called to singleness. And hear this. Is that I have to? I have to. Or listen, listen, listen. In this season of your life, is God calling you? Is God calling you in this season to find your intimacy and your connectedness in Him and other relationships that He's placed around you? You have to endure or do you get to endure until God fulfills the... Come on. You get to. That's what makes it so hard sometimes, though. It's only until we come to realize that a holy God is calling us that we find these things to be a privilege. This is not a mustering of the will just for goodness sake. I'm called to be a dad. I don't have to. I don't have to parent my children. I have the privilege to parent my children. I have the privilege to pick them up. I have the privilege to talk to them about Jesus on the way. I have the privilege to shiver on the sideline of soccer games. I have the privilege because God has called me to be a dad. You see it? This want to, this want to, Versus the have-to of life finds its roots in this, is that God has called you to fulfill every blessing in your life. But every blessing comes with a responsibility. Until we understand that the, rep- the responsibility is a blessing and a privilege, 
will fail. But today, but today I believe that God desires for us to find our strength in God's purity. To find our strength in the purity of God. This God who is pure and holy, who's calling us to be pure and holy. This God who is setting a standard and calling us to a standard. This God who not only is the standard, is calling us to the standard, but then he actually empowers us to be able to say yes to the standard. Friends, this is, this, this, this is a privilege. Have to versus want to. You got to get this right as we enter today's text because today's text puts a smack dab at the center of the granddaddy of all lists of have tos. For today, the Lord makes covenant with Moses. Today, the Lord delivers the Ten Commandments. You know the Ten Commandments, don't you? Thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. Anyone love rules in the room? Somebody loves rules. We have a support group for all of you who love rules. (laughs) We all actually love some rules until they apply to us. Today we find strength in God's purity. We come to the Ten Commandments realizing that God delivering these to us gives us an opportunity that will result in a privilege to show God's power at work in us. Catch it? We want to, like the psalmist say, your precepts, O Lord, are right and they bring joy to my heart. Your commandments bring joy to my heart, Psalm 19. The Apostle Paul, even in his struggle, says this, I delight in the law of God. I delight in it. Psalm 119, I love your law. I love your law. And somewhere along the way, theologically, we've gotten confused and we look to the law with despise. Mint. Today, I want us to come look at the purity of God's law and the pure God who delivered his law. And so are you ready to receive? to see God's law as blessing? Are you ready to be blown away by the purity and the wholeness of God? Are you ready to grasp how being called to holiness by a holy God is an absolute privilege? If you are, say, it's a privilege. It's It's absolutely a privilege. Here we go, Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19. Today we find strength in the purity of God. We can count it a privilege to obey a holy God when we realize just how pure and holy he actually is. Five truths. Today we have five truths that we learn about the purity of God from the giving of the Ten Commandments. Five truths that we learn about our God at the giving of the Ten Commandments. He's pure. He's pure. And the first thing we learn about this pure God at the giving of the Ten Commandments is this. His promises are purely sealed. His promises are sealed. Look at the text, Exodus chapter 19. On the third day, I'm sorry, on the third new moon, on the third new moon after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, and so you all understand that, right? The third moon. The third moon uh, takes me back to when I was a kid and I was watching westerns with my grandfather and I would hear the term, you know, three moons ago. You all know what a moon is. 
I did not, and so commentators helped me to understand this, probably about three months. It's been about three months since God kept his promise to Moses. What was his promise? I'm going to use you. Out of a burning bush, Moses, I'm going to call you. And so it's been three months since God fulfilled that promise. The nation has been led out of captivity of Egypt through the Red Sea. Egypt has been taken care of. Now watch. On the third day, on the third, sorry, on the third new moon after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness there. Israel there encamped before the mountain. God has fulfilled his promise, and in this, these two simple verses, God continues to fulfill his promise. Some of you today need to realize that God has made promises. He's made promises to you, and you've received partial fulfillment of the promise, but ultimately God is still fulfilling promises. God is in the process of fulfilling promises even now. He said his word would not return void. God is in the process of fulfilling even that promise right now as we study his word. You see it? And so God made a promise to Moses that I would use you and you would lead your people out. But in this very moment, God has orchestrated this very event to continue fulfilling that promise. Exodus chapter 3, verse 12. Remember this? Now God said to Moses, but I will be with you. And this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you, that when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall what? You shall serve God on this mountain. I'm going to lead you out of the nation. I'm going to set you free. And then you are going to come, and your people are going to be gathered around this mountain. God told Moses that this moment was going to happen, and so now it stands as a sign to Moses that God fulfills his promise. You see, God is setting the stage for the giving of the Ten Commandments with the fulfillment of His promises in clear view. What I want you to catch here is this. God did not give the Ten Commandments in retaliation to the mishaps of the nation. This was part of God's plan. It was part of His plan from the very beginning. You see, he didn't, he didn't give the Ten Commandments after a major failing and then in consequence say, okay, now here you go. Go to your room and don't you dare come out until you're willing to do these ten things. You been there? What I want you to catch here is that the Ten Commandments were not given because Israel was bad. They were given because our God is good. They were not given merely, let me add the word merely because Israel is bad. They were especially given because our God is good. The commandments were given as a means to fulfill the promise. But you see, not only was there a promise being fulfilled to Moses in that moment that God keeps his word, what he says is going to happen is going to happen. But he's also fulfilling a promise on that date that is 430 years old. Galatians chapter 3, 430 years before. In Genesis chapter 12, God came to Abraham, and what did he say? God said to Abraham, now go 
Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you. And I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Do you catch this? This is what just happened. Do you think, were there, any, were there any faithful among the servants of God as they were slinging mud before Egypt? And they were saying, hey, you know, God's going to make us a great nation. God's going to make us a great nation. God's going to make us a great nation. Yeah, all 400,000 of us slaves, really? What? You do understand that's how we sound sometimes to the world. Jesus is going to return. He's going to establish his kingdom. Jesus is going to return. He's going to establish his kingdom. God is fulfilling his promises. What is imperative, what is crucial to realize is that in the giving of the Mosaic Covenant, which is established on the forefront of the giving of the Ten Commandments, that this covenant was given after a previous covenant had already been established. This covenant is being built on a previous covenant. It is so crucial that you understand this. The previous covenant was not a conditional covenant. You will be my people. I will glorify myself. I will make you a great nation. I will punish those who stand against you. What just happened, Red Sea? Friends, some of us need to realize that God... God is keeping his promises to you. The nation waited 430 years to see this measure of fulfillment. How many years have passed since? God is still fulfilling his promises. Friends, it's a privilege. You see, it's a privilege to serve a holy God who is pure, who always, who always, who always is keeping his promise. His promises are sealed. His promises were transpiring right before their eyes and Watch how God continues to set the stage for the giving of the Ten Commandments. Come on. Verse 3, now, while Moses went up to God, while Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, thus you shall say to the house of Jacob. By the way, I love that he says the house of Jacob. Again, pointing back. The God of your forefathers, the great I am, the God of yesterday, today, and forever. Tell the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Catch this. At the giving of the call of obedience, the Mosaic Covenant, the Ten Commandments, the great have-tos, Yahweh makes it clear to them. My promises are sealed, but secondly, listen, listen, my people are saved. God had rescued them. God had brought them out of captivity, out of slavery. Yes, they're on their way to the promised land for sure, but they weren't earning God's favor. God's favor was already shown to them. I love the imagery here. I love the imagery here. Like, who doesn't love, like, spotting a bald eagle in the sky? Like the, have you ever seen one of these things like take off from the ground? Like the majestic, 
nature, the sheer power and strength, this, this creature of prey that is able to like swoop down and just rip a rabbit right out of its hole. Okay, maybe a little too far, but you get my point. This same creature that can come and swoop and take care of business also has the tenderness when training its young eaglets to fly under them so that if they were to falter, they would be caught on Mama's wings. You saw what I did to the Egyptians. You saw how I swooped in and made it right. You saw how I rescued you. And you have felt the lift beneath my wings as I brought you through the sea. As I set your feet on dry land. This is the God that we serve and this is the picture of salvation before us. This is what God reminded them of before he brought them the covenant of the law. It's a privilege to serve a God who saves. It's a privilege to obey a God who empowers us first to obey him. To be clear, just to be clear, God did not give the Ten Commandments so Israel could earn their salvation. The Ten Commandments are not a means of us earning our salvation. Hebrews chapter 11, read the chapter for yourself today. But the author of Hebrews takes his time in naming all of the people from the Old Testament who were redeemed by faith. By faith, Moses responded to the call. By faith, he led the people out. By faith, he walked through the sea. By faith, he sent the spies. By faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. And so if the purposes of the Ten Commandments is not salvation, then what is its purpose? Well, you see, it becomes a privilege to serve a holy God as it pertains to his commandments when you realize that his, his purpose has been clearly stated, point three. God's purposes are clearly stated. In the giving of the Ten Commandments, we see God's purposes clearly stated. There's no confusion on this. Chapter 19, verse 5. Now, therefore, if, say if, That's a really powerful two-letter word. If. If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession. Among all the peoples of all the earth is mine. Listen, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests. You shall be a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Do you see it? If you do this, what is he establishing? He's establishing purpose for the covenant. Here's what's going to result from this covenant. What's God's purpose? If you keep my covenant, you will be my treasured possession. I'm coveting with you. I'm coveting with you because I want you to belong to me. I'm coveting with you because I want you to be mine. I want you to be my people. 
Listen, stop and think about this. God's people are his prized possession. God's people are his prized possession. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're God's prized possession. Now say, even if you don't look like it. Kidding, don't do that part. (laughs) Right? The people of God are his prized possession. Get your head around that. God says this, listen, for the whole earth is mine. The whole earth is mine. Out of all the people, out of all the nations that I could possibly have chosen, I've chosen you. Come on, fast forward. Out of all the people, out of all the earth that God could have possibly chosen to be redeemed by the power of his son, he chose you. It's a privilege to serve a God who saves his people. It's a privilege to obey the call of obedience when God has rescued you, when he has swooped in like an eagle and defeated the sin in your life and brought your feet upon sanctified ground. He goes on to say this. You shall be my treasure possessions among all the peoples of all the earth is mine, and you shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. What else is the purpose here? That you would be a kingdom of priests in all of this. That you would become a holy nation. What is the job of a priest? The job of a priest is to represent, to represent God to the people and also then on behalf of the people offer worship and service and sacrifice to God. What does it mean to be a holy, to be holy but to be set apart? He's saying, I'm coveting with you because out of all the people and all the earth, I want to make you my treasured possession so that in making you my treasured possession, you would be able to act in a priestly way to show the nations, to show the nations who I am. That the nations will be drawn to me through you. What's God's purpose? What's God's purpose for the Ten Commandments? What's God's purpose for the Mosaic Covenant? To have people be his prized possession. What's his purpose? To have people who would worship and serve him as a want to. What's his purpose? To have people who represent him to the world. That's our call. What's his purpose? To reveal his glory and to reveal his holiness for the world to see. Listen, God's plan, God's plan in the Mosaic Covenant and God's plan even unto today, it was his promise to Abraham, what? I will make you a great nation to reach the nations. God's plan in his promises is ultimately to reach the nations through his treasured people that he would be able to accumulate for himself treasured people from everywhere. But he started with a treasure to accumulate a greater treasure. And so if you're a treasured possession of the Lord today, you have been treasured by God to seek other treasured possessions unto God. What a privilege. As we obey the Lord, it's attractive As we obey the Lord, the character of God is revealed. As we obey the Lord, it reveals this. What? What I couldn't do on my own, God is doing through me. Romans 15, 9, everywhere the word Gentile is used, Gentile is for any nation other than Israel, right? For anyone who isn't an Israelite, they are a Gentile. 
And so as you read your Bible, I would encourage you to think about Gentile as nations. And so Romans chapter 15, New Testament, come on. All this is done in order that the Gentiles, the nations, might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the nations. And I will sing your name. And again it is said, rejoice, O nations, with his people. Again, again, praise the Lord, O you nations. And let the peoples of the earth extol our God. Here God covenants with the nation he loves to reach the world he created. Oh, in God's new precious covenant of grace, he's covenant with you to do the same. But ultimately, note this, it's a conditional covenant. If, 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 all right, pastor, what in the world are you going to do with this? If, listen, Moses is not even going to get off the mountain here soon, and they're already going to break the covenant. This covenant isn't even going to make it off the breath of Moses' lips before they break it. Does God know that they can't keep this covenant? Does God know? Say yes. God knows they can't keep this covenant. There is no one in this nation, let alone the nation themselves, who's going to be able to keep this covenant. So what in the world, why would God covenant a conditional covenant that they can't keep? And listen, God knew they weren't going to be able to keep the covenant because like the rest of Exodus and Leviticus and it's going to be all the things you got to do because you can't keep the covenant. The ceremonial sacrificial system is going to come in place so that God could store up his wrath. Why? Because out of the nation, out of the nation one would come. Out of the lineage a child of Abraham, a descendant of Jacob and Joseph, the, the root of Jesse would come. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, and the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, the nations. In him will the nations, the Gentiles, have hope. Galatians chapter 3, verse 24, so then the law was my guardian until Christ came. The law was there to keep my flesh in check and remind me that I can't so that when Jesus Christ would come, I would know that he fulfilled the law. And because of him, the covenant has been fulfilled. And now we can be that great nation. Now we can be that covenant people. Now we can join our voices with the chorus, the veil having been torn. Oh, God is going to keep his precious promises to Israel. Make no mistake. Oh, but to those of us who've been grafted in to the cherished divine plan of God, Jesus Christ fulfilled the if. Jesus Christ took care of the if. No one in this room could have fulfilled the if, for it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Oh, but Jesus Christ fulfilled the law. Now look, 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 look. Now, now in Christ fulfilling the law, apprised people, apprised people who empowered by the Spirit can worship and serve and obey. 
a prized people who can represent him to the world. A called out people who his glory can inhabit upon their praises. Come on, Selah, just stop. What a privilege it is to be among those who are on this side of Jesus Christ. Perfect fulfillment. Oh, what the nation longed for. We've experienced in Jesus Christ. Wow, it's a privilege to serve a God. It's a privilege to serve a God who keeps his promises, a God who saves his people, a God who clearly states and fulfills his purpose. And now this, it's a privilege to serve and obey a God whose power is seen in the commandments themselves. Come on, work with me here. Watch how these commandments are delivered. Just read with me now. When Moses told the words, look at verse 7 now. So Moses came. So Moses now came, verse 7, and he called the elders of the people and he set them before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. And all the people answered him and said, all the Lord has spoken, we will do. That is so phenomenally naive. <laughs> Anyone ever sign on the dotted line before reading the whole contract? Based on this passage, at least, like they haven't even been delivered yet. Oh, we're on it. We're going to do this. <sighs> How many days do you wake up like that? Lord's like, great. Verse 9, here it is. The Lord said to Moses, then behold, behold. The answer is yes, I'm coming. I'm coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe forever. What a grace of God. I'm going to come and I'm going to speak loud enough, Moses, that they're all going to hear it by voice this time. And when Moses told the words to the people of the Lord, and the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them, today and tomorrow. And let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. Look at the purity of God. He can't be around anything defiled. They can't wash themselves clean enough to not be defiled, but catch this. He wants them to recognize their need to be cleansed. He continues on. Come on, get them ready. Bathe, clean, scrub. Set limits, verse 12, for the people all around saying, take care not to go up on the mountain or touch the edge of it. Don't cross this line. A holy God can't be near defilement and the holy God cannot be touched. No hand shall touch him, verse 13. But he shall be stoned or shot with an arrow, by the way. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds and a long blast, they shall come to the mountain. So Moses 
So Moses then goes down. But God, even in his mercy, makes it clear. I want no one to be hurt here, but I want you to see how holy I am. And so Moses went down from the mountain to the people, and he consecrated the people, and they washed their garments. And he said to the people, be ready, be ready, be ready for on the third day. Keep yourselves pure in every way, spotless and pure. Do not even go near your spouse. Catch the scene. You wake up in the morning. You wake up in the morning. And on the morning of the third day, on the morning of the third day, there were thunders. On the morning of the third day, there was thunders and, and there was lightning. Can, can you imagine the scene that there were thunder and there was lightning? Can you imagine the scene of, of thunder and lightning? and lightning and a cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Not a trumpet like you would be accustomed to hearing. But the blowing of a shofar. You're standing at the base of the mountain and the ground is shaking and the thunder is rolling and the lightning is flashing and out of nowhere comes a trumpet sound but nobody's blowing a trumpet power god is holy and then moses brought the people out of the camp to meet god come on let's go to the base they all trembled it says they were shaking as they kind of walked up to the mountain. But now, now at Mount Sinai, it was wrapped with smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. And the smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln. And the whole mountain trembled greatly. And the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. And Moses spoke. And God answered him in the thunder. Oh, how he loved that passage. Oh, God spoke to me in a still, small voice. And sometimes he does. But other times, it's thunder. The sound of the trumpet grew louder. And the Lord came down and he spoke to him in the thunder. And Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, go down and warn the people. Go down and warn the people lest they break, break through to the Lord to, the, to look and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near me to the Lord consecrate themselves. Which is rather odd because there isn't, there isn't a priesthood established yet. But watch what happens. Let the Lord break through out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up to the mountain for you've already warned us. You've already set your limits. We know better. We're not going to do it. We're not going to do it. And, and, and the Lord then says to Moses, now about this priest thing. The Lord said, go down and come up bringing Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. And so Moses went down to get the people. Nobody can cross this line, but I want you to go down right now and grab Aaron. Now, why in the world is he grabbing Aaron? He grabs Aaron, the one who's been with Moses, the one who's 
been Moses' voice, the one who has held up Moses' arms, the Aaron. The Lord has a plan and a calling for Aaron, doesn't he? Aaron's going to serve as the priest. Aaron is being brought into the sanctuary of God on the mountaintop. And here on the mountaintop, in the presence of God, the Lord is preparing Aaron. He soon will be the priest. He soon will go into the tabernacle, into the Holy of Holies, and he will make sacrifice because the nation won't be able to keep it. They won't be able to keep the commandments. And so even in this, even in the pre-giving of the law, he is already establishing provision for them. How gracious is our God. Stop and consider this. What only Aaron was privileged to do throughout all of his generation, you and I are able to do any time through the person of Jesus Christ. For Aaron became their mediator, but now Jesus Christ stands as our mediator forevermore. Everything in this text points to Jesus. Everything. If you need a verse for that, Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, the entire account is recounted. Listen. For you have not come to what you may be, you have For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and tempest, and the sound of the trumpet and the voice of those those words made hearers beg for no further message to be given to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. Even if a beast touches the mountain, sound familiar? It shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you may come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, and to the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the innumerable angels in feastal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits, and to the righteous made perfect. Now watch. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. For when Abel's blood was shed, it brought condemnation and sin. But in the shedding of Jesus' blood comes justification and righteousness and a positional sanctification that covers us all. It's a privilege to serve a God who keeps his promises. It's a privilege to serve a God who saves his people. It's a privilege to obey a God who declares his purpose. It's a privilege to serve a God this powerful. It's a privilege to serve a God who makes the priorities clearly known. And here they are. You don't need a full sermon on the Ten Commandments. We all have master's degree on sin. But in every one of these commandments is written the character of God. Watch. For God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. So he reminds them again of his salvation, of him bringing them out. Now watch. Here it comes. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in, on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the sea. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I am the Lord your God. I am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation to those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to the thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Verse 7, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. 
Six days you shall labor and do your work, but on the seventh day it is a Sabbath to the Lord. Verse 12, honor your father and your mother, that is, that your days may be long in the land and that your Lord, your God, has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Thou shalt not. Oh, but this law through the provision of Jesus Christ is summed up in this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Come on, check this. You shall have no other God before me. It shows the preeminence and the exclusivity of Yahweh. He's a jealous God. No graven image. God is spirit. Therefore, nothing Nothing, nothing. We worship God in spirit and in truth and nothing we create can capture or compare to what? His transcendence. You shall not take the Lord's name in vain. It speaks of the value and the honor of the name of God. Yahweh, I am. Listen, God named himself. Don't mess with it. It means to speak or to carry God's name dishonorably. To speak or to carry God's name dishonorably. Do you carry God's name? Do you ever dishonor it with your actions? No one can keep this law. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Jesus Christ now is our fulfilled Sabbath. Hebrews chapter 4. Colossians chapter 2 says, Let us judge not one another anymore pertaining to Days such as these, by God's grace, we now honor the first day of the week, the day our Savior rose from the dead. Commandment five, honor your father and mother, respect authority. Respect the authority of God and those whom he's placed over you. This is dealing with God's provision and God's generosity. God provided us with covering. Thou shalt not murder Murder here is intentional, premeditated, unlawful death. It means to be put to death improperly, unlawfully. Oh, that we might do a whole series on the Ten Commandments someday soon. Life is sacred. It speaks of the image of God. That's why we hold it at such precious value and worth. You shall not commit adultery. Why? It's dealing with purity of heart, purity of mind, purity of soul. For those who sin in this way, sin against their own flesh and unto God. Thou shalt not steal. Don't take what is yours. This speaks to the provision of God. That God will provide all your needs. You don't have to take matters into your own hands and steal. You shall not bear false witness. Thou shalt not. Many people sum this up and say, do not lie. And certainly, certainly that is captured in this, but it's specifically talking about legal testimony. Don't bear false witness. Number 10, you shall not covenant, or you shall not covet, pardon me. Greed and greed. You shall not covenant. You shall not let your heart be filled with greed. Let it be filled with contentment, for God completely satisfies. What's fascinating to me is that law number 10 takes you right back to law number one. Don't covenant. 
Don't covet. Don't covet. Don't covet. God satisfies. Don't let any other idol satisfy your soul. Go back and see commandment number one. Have no other God before me. Ten simple. Ten simple. Ten simple laws that no person in this room can keep. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's only one person who ever has ever lived who's kept every one of these commandments, and unless you get haughty and think that you've come close, Jesus says if you even commit these in your heart, you've failed. For our sake he made him who knew no sin to be sin, so that in him we may become the righteousness of God. Friends, it's a privilege, it's a privilege, it's a privilege to obey a God who keeps his promises. It's a privilege to obey a God who saves his people, who makes his purposes clear. It's a privilege to save a God who has shared his power with us. It's a privilege to sh- It's a privilege to obey a God who's sanctifying you. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 And now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may the whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless now at the coming of Christ for the purpose of your sanctification is so that the glory of God can be shown through you. You can't, but God can. You can't, but God can. You can't, but God can. It's a privilege to obey the laws of God. For every time we say yes to God and no to sin, it reminds us that we are sealed, saved, redeemed, and empowered by our God. And so, Father, we come to you and we praise you for your goodness, for your strength, and for your mercy upon us. Oh, God, that we would live in a generation that has Come after the one who fulfilled, the one who lived the perfect life, the one who died and became our provision, paying for our sins that we could be in right standing with you. Oh God, help us get our minds and our hearts near this truth. May we see every action, every call you placed on our lives as a privilege, as a privilege that you have empowered us to fulfill. Oh God, we praise you that we get to love you that we get to serve you, that we get to worship you, that we get to spend eternity with you. Empower us as we go, I pray, in Jesus' name.